Why don't you get your Bibles and turn me to Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 11. I can tell you that this message is probably different than anything that I've ever done. And according to the 5 p.m. last night, it is the best one that I've ever done. So, but, but here's, I just want to say this. I don't think I'm peaking here. So keep coming back because eventually I'm going to top this one. Okay. Um, but it's, it's just amazing. Um, we're in this series, I Heart My Church. And I do, I love my church. And, and when we started this church, I've said this, but, but we wanted a church that could be enjoyed and not just endured. And, and it's hard because churches aren't perfect. And if you're looking for the perfect church, good luck with that, right? Because the moment a person walks in, we're not perfect anymore because there are no perfect people. And, and I don't love my church. We talked about this last week. I don't love my church because it's perfect. Um, in fact, to me, that's what I love about it. It's very imperfect. I love the stories. I love the people. I love watching imperfect people engage with a perfect God, and we see how that works out, right? And so we wanted a church where you could come and be imperfect. You could come and be struggling. You could come and be addicted. You could come and say, I don't even believe in Jesus at all, but y'all are nice, and I'll hang out here and drink the free coffee. Totally fine with us, right? We just want a place where you don't need an interpreter or a tour guide to try to figure out what's going on at service, right? And so, and so I love my church not because it's perfect. I love my church because it's purposed by God to make a difference. And, and we started that, this series a couple weeks ago, and that's where I really want to want to end up today as we're finishing this series. And by the way, you can get the t-shirt. If you want the t-shirt, they're five bucks. Um, we would love to help you get a t-shirt and love your church even more, right? Um, but, but I just wanted a church where people could love it, where they could engage with it, where you didn't have to be perfect to show up, where there's no judgment, no criticism, right? Where you could just come and be as screwed up as everybody else. And everybody like, hey, instead of saying, like a church where instead of saying, hey, you shouldn't, we say, hey, me too. Right, Because the church is really good at, hey, you shouldn't do that. You should stop that. You shouldn't do that. Right? What if we showed up and said, hey, me too. I've struggled with that. Me too. I've got some issues. Me too. Jesus and I are still working on something. Right? What if that were the environment that we walked into? And that's, that's really what we wanted to see, church that was enjoyed and not just, uh, not just endured. And so uh, today's a little different. I'm going to ask you some questions to get started because I know it's 9 a.m. And, and you guys kind of got to stretch a little bit and get woken up. And also, there may be somebody around you you don't know, and we're going to give you an opportunity to in, interact with them. And so I, I call this message um, the difference maker. And I think the church is the difference maker. But before we get into that, before we get into that, I want to ask you a question. The first question I want to ask you, I want you to think about this. I'm going to ask you about your ideal meal, your ideal meal, right? Your ideal, and, and not like, well, I like salt grass because that's not a meal. That's a restaurant right? Because my ideal meal, um, there's like some shrimp and grits that I get from one restaurant that I really like. I mean, they will set you free. And there's a steak I'd get from another restaurant, right? Because I'm mostly a carnivore, all right? And there's a dessert I'd get from another restaurant. And no, I wouldn't get a salad at all. And so... Um, because <laughs> this is an ideal meal, right? So, um, so anyways, just real quick, find somebody around you, like in two seconds, just tell them your ideal meal. Be a great time to introduce yourself. And if you're single and they're single, you can ask them out but, but to go to your ideal meal. But just real quick where you're at, just, just say, hey, this is my ideal meal. Ready? Go, 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 go. All right. All right. That's good. Some of you eat too much. All right. So anyways, um, <laughs> real quick, real quick. Here's the next one. Okay. Here's the next one. 
Um, I want you to talk to them about your ideal vehicle. So just tell them, not like Ford, Chevy. It may be a Ford or a Chevy, but tell them, hey, this is my ideal vehicle. Go ahead, real quick. Maybe ask your second favorite, the person on the other side. Ask them, since you, since you turned away from them, turn back to them, my ideal vehicle, my ideal vehicle. And nobody in here better say a Prius. Nothing wrong with a Prius. That's probably not the ideal vehicle. All right, all right, real quick, real quick. Did anybody say Prius? Because I'm just curious, right? If so, get some hummus and some skinny jeans. Anyway, so, um, but, but how many, like your favorite vehicle, your ideal vehicle was some, some version of a Chevy. It was like Chevy GM. Like, okay, a few of those, awesome. How many was like some version of a Ford? All right, oh, the Ford's winning. It's probably a 500 GT or something like that, right? How many, it was like um, maybe a Dodge, any Dodge? Yeah, okay, some Dodge people. Wow, good for y'all. Mercedes, anybody get a Mercedes, right? Yeah, uh, Lexus or something like that. Anybody get, they're like, yeah, okay, there's a couple of Lexus. All right. How many, it's like not made here, it's made in Italy. Like you are like, you drove an Italian car, right? Ferrari, come on, somebody. All right, so, um, that was awesome. Okay, one more. We'll do, we'll do one more real quick. Uh, I, I want to talk about your ideal vacation. Ideal vacation. No, 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 no. Listen, not like, well, Cousin Fred rents a condo every year that all of our family goes to in this one. That's not vacation. That's hell. I want to talk about your ideal vacation. All right, your ideal vacation. Real quick, tell somebody your ideal vacation. All right, that's good. All right, how many your ideal vacation spot is in the mountains? In the mountains? All right, so how many went to Gatlinburg because you're a redneck? All right, no, okay, so <laughs> how, many, how many of us on the beach somewhere? It's on the beach. And how many just someplace else? Just, I don't know, the jungle? Okay, guys, so awesome, awesome, um, awesome. Man, I think it's fun to talk about ideal things. You know, what about your ideal community? Like your ideal community, because if I were going to talk about my ideal community, uh, first of all, I'd talk about a community where, where there was no crime, right? And, and like, I remember growing up, my grandfather, I, you know, I don't think they ever locked their doors for anything. I don't, I don't think. In fact, he pastored a church, and they left the church unlocked, um, and he had a little gas-burning heater that he would leave going. And, and that way, in the winter months, it got really cold, the homeless people would come in and sleep around the heater. And they'd leave. They'd never bother anything, never steal anything. And, and, and to me, an ideal community starts where when people have been so transformed, there's no crime anymore. There's no theft, right? There's no murder. There's no assault. There's, there's none of those type of things. And I believe that that's actually possible. Or how about, how about we're talking about the ideal community? How about a community where people are so whole that they don't need drugs to medicate anything? And I'm not talking about prescription drugs because I'm not against that, but I'm talking about illegal drugs, right? Or drug abuse or any substance abuse for that matter. What if people were so whole because they're, they're because you understand all addictions and those type of things, all of that is either an escape or a medication. It's all an escape from reality because reality is painful. So therefore it's all a medication, right? So what if people were so whole and so healed that they didn't actually need those things in order to escape or, or to try to feel better or whatever the case may be, right? And so what if you had a community that the people were so healed and so whole, drug dealers couldn't make a living there? 
Because there's just no market. Because everybody's like, nah, I, don't, I just don't, I don't need it. You know, because here's what I know. Like, if you're a, an addict today, uh, I've talked to a lot of addicts, and I can tell you this. I've never found one that says, man, I really like being an addict. This was my plan. You know, like, this is what I was aiming for. No, they all hate it, right? They all hate it. They're just stuck. And usually they're stuck in a lot of pain. Does that make sense? And, and, so, and so what if we had a place for no, no drug addicts? What about school systems? What if we had school systems where the parents, all the parents were actually involved and the kids, because they had been trained, didn't have discipline problems and the teachers could actually just teach and not deal with problems all the time and discipline issues all the time and parents that wouldn't be involved all the time. What, what if we had a school system, then it would be exemplary all the time. Like it would set records as far as educational uh, achievement, right? W wouldn't that be awesome? What if we had a what if we had a city where there was no human trafficking, where children could not be exploited because there was no market for it, right? What if we had a community where there were no children up for adoption because they had all been placed in families? And I know as you're thinking, like, my God, is he running for the presidency? I mean, what's he doing? No, no, I'm not. But I think all of that, I think it's all possible. But, but here's what I'm saying. All that I just spoke about, here, let me help you with something. No government can give it to you. No political party, doesn't matter which one, they're both screwed up. No political party could give it to you, right? The, the type of transformation necessary for that type of community to exist can only come through the church. And that's why I love the church, because the church really is the hope that we have. It's the hope of the world, because the church offers something that nobody else offers, and that is we actually have an answer for the brokenness of the human soul. And all of those things that I describe, crime, drugs, trafficking, all of it comes out of brokenness of the human soul. And so I believe that, that the church is actually the difference maker. See, the Bible tells us 2,000 years ago there was this man named Jesus, and the Bible talks about his story in four different uh, books, if you will, uh, guys that traveled with him, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. And so 2,000 years ago, this man named Jesus picked, could we say, 12 less than likely candidates. Some of us might even think less than qualified candidates, but he picked 12 and, and those 12 became the seed of a movement. But then this leader, before the movement really got started, this leader that they'd given their lives to serve was executed publicly, executed publicly. And when you're trying to start a movement, you're trying to rally people around your cause and all of a sudden you're executed publicly, it can put a damper on what's trying to get going. But see, that's not where the story stopped. Because he was executed publicly and he was put in a borrowed tomb and it was a borrowed tomb because he wasn't going to need it very long. Right? He didn't need a weekly rate. Just a couple of nights. Because three days later, that leader, Jesus, walked out of the tomb and appeared to his followers and said, hey, guys, it's all right. I did exactly what I was going to say. And that started a movement. Those 12 became 3,000, we're going to talk about that in just a minute. And today, those 12 that became 3,000 are now 2.3 billion people around the world who profess the name of Jesus. That, those 12 men, a motley crew to say the least, started a movement 
And that movement is based on this. It is based on the fact that if you go to Jerusalem, that tomb is still empty. And everybody else, every other teacher, every other religion, they all died. Their tomb, they're still there. They're still buried. There's been no one else that could claim that, hey, you bury me, I'll just get up again. And so Christianity is not built on good philosophy or good teaching or good ideas. Christianity is founded on the fact that there is an empty tomb. It is founded on the fact that there is resurrection. And because of that, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead now dwells in the church. And the church is the difference maker because we're the only ones with the power to make a difference. The church was born. In fact, in fact, truthfully, we're all here today because 12 men took Jesus seriously. Like a man that lived 2,000 years ago on the other side of the planet. 12 men took what he said seriously. And now this morning, we're all here with billions of other people around the world today. And we're singing to him and we're worshiping him. And all of us have a story about how he changed us. It's incredible. No, nobody else, nothing else can do that. Only Jesus. That's why I believe that, that Christianity is, is the difference maker. See, here's the thing. The, these people, it was built on just three ideas, really. Just, I mean, just three ideas. Number one, the cornerstone of the resurrection. Right? Nobody else, by the way, has one of those. Nothing against any other religion. I'm tr not trying to knock, but if you're a Buddhist or you're Islam, nobody else has a resurrection and nobody else promises you one. Right? I mean, it's the cornerstone of the rejection. It's the command to love. Simple. Love, your, love God, love your neighbor, love your enemy. Cornerstone, resurrection, command to love, and a commission. Go. Go because other people need help. Go because other people need hope. Go because other people need a place. They need a home. And so, and so this is what that movement was. This, this is all that they really had to work with was this cornerstone of the resurrection, right? This command, a new command I give you that you love one another, right? And this commission, go into all the world. Go into all the world. And so out of that, like this is the movement, right? This is the movement. They didn't have Christian Bible bookstores with volumes and volumes of books. They didn't have podcasts. They had these three things. There's a resurrection. There's an empty tomb. This guy that emptied that tomb said, go love everybody. Amen. Right? And that became a movement that's changed the world. In fact, the story continues from that, and we get to Acts chapter 2. And in Acts chapter 2, um, this church, which was around these 12 followers, now there's 120 of them, and they're in an upper room in Jerusalem because that's where the man who rose from the dead told them to go. And when someone rises from the dead and says, hey, go here and do this, you just say, sure. And they're in the empty tomb and they're praying. And then it becomes the day of Pentecost, right? And the Holy Spirit comes to empower the church to be the church, right? And so then, then it's so overwhelming and they're speaking in different languages, the Bible says, and everybody starts thinking, man, these guys, they're drunk. They're mourning. Their leader died, and now they're mourning. And then Peter gets up. Peter, who was always quick to speak and then thought later. Peter got up. And Peter said, hey, I need to explain what's going on. Never had, never had a class in hermeneutics or homiletics. Never put together three points in a poem. He just said, I'm going to get up and explain something. And he starts preaching this message. Essentially, hey, remember this guy, Jesus, that you murdered? Guess what? 
He's alive. Like he's not dead anymore. Like you put him in the tomb and he came back out. And that was really his message. In fact, in verse 40, it goes on that Peter continued preaching for a long time. Time out. I just need to explain. This is the day of Pentecost. If you've ever been to a Pentecostal service, they preach for a long time. And so sometimes I say, I come by it honest because that's the way I was raised. But then Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day. About 12 became 120, became 3,000 in one day. This is the first evangelism of a New Testament church. In fact, they didn't really have a church yet. And then all the believers. Now, here's, here's why I read this text, really. All, everybody say all, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles teaching, to the fellowship, the sharing of meals, including how did we go from 12 to 120 to 3000 to 2.3 billion? All the believers devoted themselves. And so I'm going to put a a scale up here and and we're just going to, we're going to do one more participation thing, but we're not going to tell anybody. And so I've got this scale up here, and, and here's, here's what I want you to think about. And, and I want you to answer it to yourself. No one else. No one else needs to know. It's really just for you. But if I said on a scale of 1 to 10, how devoted are you to Jesus and his cause? On a scale of 1 to 10. Now listen, if you're in here and you just said, I'm a 10, you're a liar. You're going to burn in hell. All right. So now I've leveled the playing field, Right. On a scale of one to 10, listen, I'm not trying, this is not about condemnation. This is not about making anybody feel bad. I just want you to participate on a scale to one to 10. I want you to look and say, hey, and, and the reason I know the reason it's getting quiet is everybody's like, oh my God, he's going to tell me if I'm not a 10, we can't win. If I'm not a 10, I'm not really in. And, and he's going to bang me over the head with this. No, 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 no. That's not even what we're doing today. So don't even worry about that. You can actually be honest, but I just want you to pick a number to yourself and say, you know what? As far as, as far as my devotion to Jesus and his mission. My devotion to Jesus and his cause. If I'm being honest, I'm a number. And, and here's this, while you're thinking about that, I'll tell you my number. Because I, I looked over this, and I prayed about this, and, and I'm gonna tell you where I think I'm at. I think I'm about a seven. And that may shock you. You're like, oh my God, I can't go to this church. The pastor's not even committed. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, find one where he'll lie to you. I'd rather just be honest. Right? Because see, no one's threatened to cut my children's fingers off if I preach another sermon. And that happens in other places. And when that happened, I'd probably find out if I was a 10 or not. Right? But I haven't had to deal with that. No one said, hey, if you preach another sermon, we're going to cut your wife's head off. And so I hadn't really had to deal with that yet, so I'm not real sure, you know? And like, if you're sitting here like, I'm a 10, I'm devoted to Jesus. How many people did you share him with this week? Because you were in a restaurant where a waitress was having a bad day and you thought, I'm not going to talk to her because she's making me mad because she's not doing well with her service, then you're probably not a 10. So, so this is just about being honest. doesn't matter to me. Like if you're a two, great. You're a two. If you're a one, great. If you're here and you're a zero because you don't even follow Jesus because somebody said we will take you to IHOP and then they brought you here and you had no idea you were going to end up at church, I'm okay if you just say, I'm a zero. I'm not even on that scale. I don't care anything about this. I want some pancakes. (laughs) Because here's what I believe. Here's what I believe. No matter what your number is, right? No matter if you're two or you're three or five or seven, eight, whatever it is, here's what I really believe. Just in our church, if I could get every person, including myself, every person to say, hey, 
What, if, what would it take? What would happen if this year I just tried to go up one number? Right? I just try to go up one number. And here's what I'm going to tell you. If everybody in our church, and our church is not a huge church, right? If everybody in our church said, we're going to go up one number, I tell you this, this time next year, our community wouldn't be the same. And if we could go up two numbers, probably our state, maybe our nation would start changing. If we could go up three numbers, they'd know about it around the world. And so I don't care. I don't care what your number is. Just pick where your number is. All right? And say, hey, this, really, this is where I'm at right here. This is where I'm at. But I believe, I believe if we all just went at one number, if we went at one number, we'd change the world. And, and I've seen it. I've seen it. In fact, you can read about it in the Bible. In fact, if you continue the story that we just started, you get to Acts chapter 11. Now, I love Acts chapter 11 because in Acts chapter 11, the gospel, the news of Jesus, the preaching of the gospel gets outside of Jerusalem. So for a while, it's, it's kind of center-focused in Jerusalem, but something happens in that a man named Stephen gets stoned to death for his faith in Jesus, and then all of a sudden, the believers start moving around, right? I, here's what I love about this. We're going to read it, but here's what I love about this. Satan on his worst day, on his best day, excuse me, Satan on his best day still works for God. Like he's like, oh yeah, y'all want to preach the gospel? I'm going to start killing you. So he kills Stephen, and everybody else says, well, we'll go spread the gospel to the world. Like, like we can go or God will send us, but either way, we're going to the world, right? And so here's what it says. Meanwhile, and I love this, the believers, no big names, no Pauls, right? No Peters, just the believers who had been scattered during the persecution after Stephen's death, traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch of Syria. And that's what we're going to talk about, Antioch of Syria, because Antioch was this unique city, right? Um, it was under Roman rule, it was in the province of Syria, Antioch of Syria. There is another Antioch mentioned in the Bible. This Antioch of Syria, right? It's outside of Jerusalem and believers spread there, right? And there are some Jews. The city is about 500,000 people, maybe 800,000, some versions say, but somewhere between 500 and 800,000 people was founded 300 BC. The city was built on a grid, had a big port. It's an awesome city, right? And so the believers spread there. Now there are 50,000 Jews, but they're not believers. They're not Messianic Jews. In other words, they don't believe Jesus was the Messiah. They're just Jews. But the largest part of the poor population are not Jews. They're Gentiles, right? They, they, to them, there is no hope of the gospel at this point, right? And so, so this happens, and the believers spread out, and it says they get to Antioch of Syria, and they preach the word of God, and it says, but they started just preaching to the Jews, these 50,000 Jews, right? But then, however, some of the believers who went to Antioch from Cyprus and Serene began preaching to the Gentiles about the Lord Jesus, and the power of the Lord was with them, and a large number of these Gentiles believed and turned to the Lord. And when the church at Jerusalem heard what had happened, they sent Barnabas, first big name that shows up, right? First big name. They sent Barnabas to Antioch, and when he arrived, he saw the evidence of God's blessing, and he was filled with joy and encouraged the believers to stay true to the Lord. And Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit, strong in faith. And many people were brought to the Lord. See, here's, here's, what, I love about, here's what I love about Antioch. Is it is a church that's literally going to change the world. And it wasn't started by any big name apostle. In fact, the people that started, we don't even get their names. All the believers. The believers. That's all we get. Just the believers. This group of believers is scattered there and they're like, well, you know, we had to run for our lives because they were going to kill us. But while we're running, let's preach the gospel. Like maybe we won't get stoned in Antioch. So let's start preaching. So just, just believers. No, no pastor so-and-so. No bishop so-and-so. Right? No apostle Paul. No, no apostle Barnabas. Right? No apostle Peter. Just believers. 
And not only do they start reaching Jews, but for the first time, the gospel spreads to the Gentiles, which if you're not Jewish, that's good news. If you're Jewish here, you know, bless God, that's awesome. But for the most of us, we're not Jews. And so all of a sudden, the gospel spreads to the Gentiles. And it's here, it's here for the first time that believers are called Christians, which really is two words, Christ um, and this other Greek word, they put them together. But it's basically those who are identified like Christ are those we identify by Christ. In other words, what they're saying is, and by the way, they were called Christians by unbelievers. They didn't call themselves Christians. Because I think that's, that's how you know you're the real deal, is when people call you a Christian, not necessarily when we call ourselves one. Right? And, and what they said is, these people, they, they look like the Jesus guy. They, they seem to be acting like the Jesus guy. They're, they're basically kind of like, they're, they're Christian. You know, it's kind of the way, and, and, and not, not only that, but Antioch, not Jerusalem, where the day of Pentecost happened, Antioch becomes what is known as the cradle of Christianity. And how that happened, it becomes this church. And not only that, it becomes a church, and the reason I love it, because it, it, it became a church that its focus wasn't seeding capacity, it was sending capacity. And they begin to send missionaries all over the world from Antioch. Right? And not only that, when Jerusalem, the church in Jerusalem is struggling because there's a famine, Antioch sends money to Jerusalem to help them out. See, I think the church is a difference maker, right? I think that we can make a difference. And I really think that when it when we're talking about church, sometimes the way we look at it is wrong because I'll tell you, my model is I think 90% of the ministry of the church should happen outside of the church. That, that like Antioch, we should gather, we should be empowered, we should be renewed, we should be equipped, and then we go do ministry, right? Then we go reach people. Like 90% happens outside of the, this is just where we come to get filled up. It's where we come to get fueled up. It's where we come to get encouraged, right? It's where we come to celebrate Jesus and to celebrate the wins. And we celebrate those wins, and then we say, okay, I'm ready. I'm ready to take on the world. And like Antioch, then we go back out to where God's planted us, and that's where we preach the gospel on whatever stage he's given us. If, you're, if your platform is an attorney, or your platform is a teacher, or your platform is a businessman, or your platform is a doctor, that's your platform. Go preach the gospel there. Go make a difference. So number one, if you're, if you're taking notes, I, I really just have one sentence, but I broke it into two parts so we could have two points so we could feel like it was worth our time today. And so this is the first part, is the church is the difference maker. I believe the church is the difference maker. I want to give you some proof. In fact, I'm going to give you some numbers. Are you ready for some numbers? And these, by the way, these are not big statistics. These are pathways numbers. Because I believe church planning is the greatest form of evangelism that exists. I do. I actually believe it. I, I think we should be out planting churches. We have a heart to plant churches. We have helped plant many churches. But I think church planting is, is the greatest form of evangelism that we can engage in if we do church planting right. Because what happens about churches is all of a sudden, if we're not careful, we care more about the, the, the potluck than the pot dealer. That was poetic. I just came up with that just like that. Mama said I was smart. And so, and so I'll give you some numbers. Here's this first number, 84. 84. 84, it doesn't sound like a, a big number, right? Just 84. But 84, what is 84? 84 is the number of children that we made sure got to celebrate Christmas last December as a church. 
It's number of kids. And by the way, we did that in one weekend. Like we didn't have to grunt to do that. You did that, right? You, you did that, 84. I think it's awesome. How about this number, 41? 41. 41 is the number of families we helped last year. Whether we were helping them keep their home, helping them not be evicted, helping single moms pay their electric bill, helping people with their medical bills. 41 is the number of people you and I, we helped last year, number of families that we just helped in benevolence issues, right? Not, these are not people we referred because there are other places we give money to help people. So I'm not counting the people we helped through those, those facets, if you will. These are people that we helped just from our church. That's pretty awesome, I think. Um, how about this number, 11,000? 11,000. Um, this is, uh, we had a family a couple years ago in our church and they were halfway into an adoption, uh, from a little girl from China. And if you don't know anything about little girls in China, they usually find them in garbage dumps. That's where they find them. Cause you're only allowed to have one child and everyone wants a boy because they want to carry on their name. And so if they have a girl, they just dispose. And so, so this family wanted to rescue a, a daughter, a girl from China, and they came to us and they're like, we don't know how we're going to do it because it is very expensive. It costs over $20,000 to do that, right? And I only know that because we've adopted from Korea and it cost us pretty much a car. And so, um, and so, so I knew that. And so we talked, and so literally in one day I just stood up and said, hey, if you want to help this family, help this family. And in one day we gave them $11,000, which is exactly what they needed to finish the adoption. And they brought home a little girl from China. So I think that's a cool number. And that's something, that's something that happened here. How about this number? 50,000, 50,000. Now we, we, uh, we support a ministry. It's called house of disciples. A good friend of mine founded that ministry. Uh, a lot of people in our church serve there. Um, but we, we love that ministry. And their recovery ministry started out for men. Now they're even helping uh, women as well. And they have a recovery program. And so I was having lunch uh, with my friend, Tim. And he said, hey, we got this idea. I want to buy this farm. <laughs> I'm like, is that a movie? We bought a farm? No, that was We Bought a Zoo. Anyways, he's like, I want to buy this farm. And it's a berry farm. And, and my heart is to use this. And, and, and not only can we, we raise the crops, they're organic berries. You can buy them like in Brookshire's. But uh, when they're in season, they're not in season right now. But anyways, he's like, I'm going to raise these. And, and we're going to help support the ministry. And the men are going to learn some agriculture. And we're going to teach them some welding. We'll be able to house more men when we have more men. And so he start, started sharing this vision. And he's like, do you think you guys could be involved? We know y'all support us every month. And we appreciate that. But, but is there anything you could do? I said, absolutely. I went back and talked to the elders. And they said, we'll give $50,000. And so you, us, all of us together gave $50,000 and they bought the farm, literally. <laughs> and, and I've seen it's awesome. They grow berries. They're good. They're like organic. If you're into organic, I'm into organic unless it's not. And then, and then I'm into that too. And so, um, but anyways, that was awesome. How about this number? 632. 632. 632. That, that, is, that is the number of churches that we have helped plant since we began. Because I believe church planting is the best tool of evangelism around the world. I really think that it is. Because only the church should be out reaching them and then teaching them and reaching them and teaching them. And if you reach them and you can't teach them, that's good, but it doesn't help. And so I think the church, when found people find people, I think it's the greatest form of evangelism that exists. And so this right here, this is how many churches you, if you've been here, it's how many churches you have helped plant throughout the nation of the United States in the last eight years. Um, what about this number? Because this one's a big number. $1,032,645.93. 
That was not last year's budget. That's the, that's the amount of money we have given away to outreach partners, to help families, to help kids, to help people in our community, in our nation, and around the world. That's how much money we've given away in eight years. From a, from a church plant that started with like 100 people to what we are today, we've given away, you understand, we've given away more money than what everybody dreams of just having. Because everybody's like, man, if I just had a million dollars, we've given it away. We've given it away. And we're just getting started. Because I can't wait until one year that, that we give that away in one year. I think that's, I can't wait until we, we give that away like 10 times in a year. And I think it's possible. Um, we gave that away to, to ministries like in our city, like House of Disciples that I talked about, fantastic ministry, and you looking for a place to get involved. The, the Highway 80 Rescue Mission, we helped them. Hey, we've helped our police department, right? Because we're here to make a difference. Does that shock you to know that the church is helping the police department? Um, we're the only church that I know of. In fact, I was told that again this year. We're the only church that sponsors a conference every year called the Poverty Conference, which is aimed at helping us solve the problem of poverty in our city. We're the only church that supports it. We support it every year since the beginning or since we found out about it. We support it every year. Um, we supported things like Expectant Heart Pregnancy Resource Center. We supported them even before we helped them get their 501c3 status. We paid for it, by the way. And now they, they, they take in young girls, most, mostly who are not married, um, who we're not expecting to be expecting, and they start educating them and training them. And if the father's in the picture, they start helping him as well, and they have classes. And if you come to the classes and learn how to care for your baby and all of that and prenatal stuff, then, then you get points, and then you can get free stuff, right? And then if you're not sure, am I going to keep the baby or am I going to give up the baby? Or if I'm going to have, if I'm considering abortion, they start funneling you towards adoption saying, let's have the baby and then we'll find a family for it. And we've supported them since day one. And, and a lot of that came from there. I bought Shade Tree Ministries. Most people know Jesus Burger, AKA Jesus Burger, right? Yeah. One, one of the great outreaches, not, it's not our church's outreach, but we support it heavily every month. And people like Gary Don Holly and Dan Doctor are involved. In fact, Dan's sitting right up here. And every week, every Saturday, you find them out there worshiping, preaching the gospel, clothing the naked, feeding the hungry, and baptizing people on the side of Highway 80 every weekend. And those are things that we supported. Another thing we've done is we've offered scholarships to our own difference makers here. And so some of our young people have come up through Switch joined the leadership team and decided we want to go make a difference. And we've helped send kids to Bethel and to YWAM. In fact, I could tell you about this guy right here. This guy is Noah Ray. Yeah, we call him dude God bro. But anyways, Noah Ray is just, that's an inside joke. But anyways, I don't have time to explain. But we call him dude God bro. But this is Noah. And Noah, I met Noah when he was uh, in high school at Spring Hill High School. And he just had a passion to change the world. He became a part of our church. He became a part of our student ministry. I think he was like one of the first worship leaders we had at student ministry, right? And so he was involved in that. Then he worked at the church kind of as an intern for a little while. And then we helped him get to YWAM where he was trained. And then he was sent out and he stayed in YWAM. And we've continued to support him and offer support and scholarship. And right now, Noah's in South, he's in South Africa. And he's in South Africa because he's, he's a leader in the YWAM base in South Africa, but he's trying to get to DR Congo where you can lose your life for being a Christian. And so he's sneaking into DR Congo and having prayer meetings. He's just a guy from Spring Hill High School that we all helped get where God called him to be. I want to do that. I, listen, this is why I want to have a ministry school in our new building. It's going to be a ministry school. 
And we're going to help people just like Noah, people who want to be pastors, worship leaders, missionaries, right? Right now, we are sending less missionaries than we've ever sent before from the United States, and it is hurting us around the world. And we need to re-enlist about 200,000 missionaries, really, to make this thing work. And that's just the numbers, and I want to be a part of that, and I want to train them to go, right? And that also, not only that, but we, we do world outreach um, different things through other ministry partners. Like we're, we've done church planning in India. I sat in Honduras at a Bible school that we support every month and talk with people who are about to be sent out to plant churches. And right now they're learning and, and they're receiving an accredited degree in theology before we send them out to plant a church. Uh, one of our outreach partners here, Danny Thornton, Danny and Peggy travel around the world in these conferences and they train leaders to minister to children. In fact, he's, he just told me a minute ago, he said, we're about to leave for Peru. We're going to do these two conferences and we're going to train leaders. We'll probably train, he said, hopefully about 800 leaders. But then after they train them and give them all the tools they need, they send them out for a week to do evangelisms. And this is no lie. They will report back that they, you know, they had... 8,000 children to receive Christ in these evangelists they're doing just out in the cities where they come from. And that's something we support all the time. Yeah, absolutely. I could go on and on. Let me give you one last number. 1,678. I believe church planning is the greatest form of evangelism that exists in our nation because 1,678, that's the number of people who have made decisions for Christ in a pathway service in the last eight years. That's not counting what Danny and Peggy do because that's their ministry. We just support. We help send, right? That's not counting what, what happens at Shade Tree Ministries or Jesus Burger. That's their ministry. We just support. We just help send. By the way, if you want to go on outreach, we can get you connected with Dan or, or Gary Don, and we can get you out there doing outreach. And you're like, I don't know if I'm qualified. If you can serve a taco... All right, if you can say Jesus loves you and here's a hamburger, you are qualified. We will send you, right? We will help you find them. But this is the number of people. And so the question is, like, does the church make a difference? Can the church really make a difference? I don't know. If you're still not sure, we could ask my friend Abel. This is Abel, and this is his family. Abel didn't know Jesus until he came to Pathway. You know how he got to Pathway? Someone in Pathway asked him to come. A pathway person said, hey, would you guys want to come to church with us? Found people. And so a couple of years, Abel and his wife, this, this, damn, they have a beautiful family. They should be on like the little, you know, when you buy a picture and it already has a family in it. Like it should be their family. That's what I think. Like, my gosh. And so, and so, and so I talked to Abel this week on the phone. I called Abel and I said, hey, I just want to talk about this with you. And and I said, so how did you get to Pathway? He said, honestly, someone from Pathway told us we needed to go. And I said, so tell me. He said, we came, and that first weekend, we heard the music. We heard your talk. You know, now he knows to call it a sermon or a message. But back then, it's like we heard you talk. And he said, at the end of the, at the, end of the service, when you said, hey, does someone, uh, you know, do you want to make a decision to follow Jesus? He said, I looked at my wife, and I said, we need to do this. We need to do this. And he said, we walked down, and we, we met with someone on the ministry team, and said, we need to make a decision. And he said, they, they prayed a prayer with me to receive Jesus, to commit my life to him. And I said, hey, Abel, just before we get off the phone, in, in maybe one or two words, tell me what life was like before you came to Jesus. And he said, well, two words. He said, I would say chaos and problems. I said, wow, okay. Now, after coming to Jesus, give me two words. He said, comfort and love. Can church make a difference? I don't know. Maybe we could ask the Luthers. 
This is Joey and Holly Luther. Um, they've been here a little while, and so we, we, we talked to them, but Holly's actually sent us an email. And so I just thought I would read her words instead of telling you mine. It, so what she said, she said, we were led by the Holy Spirit to come to Pathway, and as soon as we pulled in the parking lot, it felt like home. Little did we know it wasn't only our home, it was going to become our family. God was placing us in this family at Pathway for a reason. We took our first step on just our second weekend there and began tithing. That's amazing. At first, we sat in the back um, by the door and didn't really talk or engage with anyone. But about two months after attending, we had our daughter, Rosie, and we're about to truly find out Pathway was our family, even though we really didn't know anyone there. At four days old, our daughter, Rosie, was airlifted to Dallas Children's Hospital. She had bilateral pneumonia and what we later found out was HSV that was attacking her body. She went into liver and heart failure due to the medication she was placed on. The pastors and staff reached out to us and even drove to Dallas to help us financially and pray over us and Rosie. They stayed in contact with us the entire three months we were in the hospital. And during this time, we grew in trust in God. We had to lean into him for healing for Rosie when the doctors lost all hope and told us we needed a miracle that she only had 24 hours to live. We leaned into him to be our provider for a place to stay and for income. And God is so good. He did all that we asked. He gave us a miracle of healing in Rosie, provided finances for us, and took care of our other children while we had to be away. We grew in our relationship with God and each other, and we returned to Longview. We, we couldn't wait to get back to Pathway because we missed it. We both took Growth Track, which we now call First Step, and began serving, both in nursery, uh, both in nursery and Joey in communion. Holly was later asked to become the nursery coordinator and to be on the leadership team for Pathway Kids. One year later, Rosie went back to the hospital because she had fluid on her brain and what they thought were lesions on her spine. And once again, our Pathway family was there for us. Doctors began to run all the tests and did biopsies of her spine, and they couldn't figure out what caused the fluid or the lesions. Once they ruled out there was no infection, they placed a shunt. Three, three months later, at a checkup for the shunt, the doctor noticed the lesions on her spine looked inflamed, so they did another biopsy of surgery, and, and we had another three-week stay in the hospital. It turned out to be scar tissue from the HSV and not something more serious. It was close to Christmas, and once again, we were leaning to God for, for provision for Christmas for our children. And one week before Christmas, I, Holly, received a phone call from Pastor Jessica to come by the office. Holly went by, or I, Holly, went by and was handed an envelope with a check inside from our Pathway family to help us for Christmas. God is good. Once again, we were, he, he did what we were trusting him for. Thankfully, we've had no more hospital stays, but we've served, and God has put a fire in us to help build the kingdom. We moved to the front row there in the 5 o'clock. We moved to the front row and began worshiping God wholeheartedly for all you've done in our lives and pathway. Come on, somebody. <laughs> she goes on to talk about they started a life group. They started a life group around hearing God because they want to learn to hear God. And so now they serve on the prayer team in Saturday at 5 o'clock, and they're going to be in one of our presbytery teams next week at presbytery. Can the church make a difference? I, I think it can. Let, let me read you another story. This is Tosh Redinger. And Tosh Redinger, in fact, today she's serving in Pathway Kids. And, and this is Tosh's story. She says, raising up, and that's her daughter, Brooklyn, who's like the cutest thing in the world. Um, raising, this, <laughs> raising a home where church was detested, I was never really interested in attending. Churches were all the same, judgmental, full of hypocrites, and deceitful. I was going nowhere. I dropped out of high school, was in a bad relationship. I had nowhere to turn, and then I got a call from my grandma. She asked me if I wanted to move in with her and start over. I moved back to Longview, and that's when Pathway found me. Probably three days into my move, I heard God tell me that this was a year of transformation and to trust him and everything would change. I attended presbytery service after just a few weeks here, 
And through that, for the first time, I understood the intimate love of God. I was being loved on and lifted up and encouraged by my brothers and sisters in Christ, most of which I'd never spoken to before. It seemed everywhere I turned, someone had a word of encouragement. Since then, and because of my church family, and check this out, I've gotten my GED, my driver's license. I spent months looking for a car, but the same hour I tied 10% for the first time and the offering left my account, I drove home my new car. I finished, that's awesome. I finished my nurse aid. I started attending Celebrate Recovery. I started college. I've done great in college. I've stopped smoking, stopped vaping, dedicated my daughter, Brooklyn, started serving in Pathway Kids, and I'm sober. Come on. I've rekindled relationships with my family, put up boundaries in other relationships, began leading at Celebrate Recovery. I found a home and a family in Pathway Church in my life group. She goes to more than one life group. Hey, if you're a life group junkie, go to all you want to go to. Most importantly, this is awesome. Most importantly, I accepted Jesus as my king, got baptized, and started living my life as his treasure. Come on. Can the church make a difference? I think it does. I think the church always makes a difference. And here's why I think the church makes a difference. Because only the church can deal with the brokenness of the human soul. Only the church really can deal with the human condition. See, Colossians 2.13 tells us this. It says that, that we were dead. And so here's the problem with everybody. You're dead. Right? We were born dead, if you will. That we were dead in our sins and in the uncircumcision of our flesh. But this says this. God made you alive with Christ and forgave all of us. See, see, I think sometimes we miss this, and this is where religion and the church are not the same. Religion is focused on behavior. The church is supposed to be focused on bringing dead things back to life. See, with religion, we, we don't really talk about life. We talk about, do you behave like us? Do you act like us? Do you look like us? Do you talk like us? And that's not the way Jesus was at all, because Jesus understood. He didn't say, to as many as behaved like him, he gave the power to become sons of God. He said, to as many as believed on him right? He knew the issue wasn't behavior. The issue was belief. And there are tons of organizations that can help you with your behavior, but there is only one organism that can bring dead things back to life again. Are you with me? There's only one thing built on a resurrection, right? And so the problem that Jesus came to solve was not the problem of behavior. It was the problem of death. And when you're dead on the inside, you try to find stuff to escape the death or make you feel alive. And that's where we get behavior, right? And so the church, we're the, every, if you think about it, every other organization, nothing against them, we support some of them. We're glad they're out there. We're glad they're helping families. We're glad they're helping people. I have no problem with it. This is not Debbie Downer, and I'm not down on anybody, but I'm just saying this. Here's the difference. They all treat symptoms, right? They help families who are not winning financially, and they try to give them resources. That's a symptom, right? They, they find people that are in life-controlling issues, and they try to help find a way out. That's a symptom, and while I'm glad for that, and I praise God for that, and we've even helped support many of those, those causes, at the same time, I know on the inside, the church is the only thing with the resurrection power of Jesus, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us, and it quickens us, and that is the difference maker, because we know how to get dead things connected with life again. Romans 2.29 says this. It says, no, a true Jew, in other words, someone that really belongs to the Lord, is one whose heart is right with God. Not behavior, heart. And true circumcision is not merely obeying the law, but rather it's a change of heart 
produced by the Spirit. And a person with a changed heart seeks praise from God and not from people. But look at that phrase, a change of heart produced by the Spirit. Nobody else can do that. Nobody else can offer that, right? If your marriage is struggling today, we're offering changed hearts that come about by the Spirit of God through a process of surrendering in, right? If you're struggling with addiction today, thank God for, for all the things that help, but this is what God has to offer, a changed heart, right? A, a, a recovered and a healed soul. And, and this is why I believe the church is a difference maker because we have the secret weapon. We, are you with me? We have the secret weapon. We have a treasure in earthen vessels of clay, the resurrection power of Jesus that we can take to the world. That's what makes us different. And it's time the church quit trying to be social aid. Nothing wrong with that. It's time the church quit trying to be another government agency. Nothing wrong with that necessarily. It's time the church capitalize on what we have that nobody else has, which I believe is the main thing that makes a difference, the power of God and the resurrection of Jesus. Can the church make a difference? I think so. If you're taking notes, I'll give you point number two. The church is a difference maker when believers make a difference. The church is a difference maker when believers make a difference. Back to Antioch. We read it a minute ago, this church. That was awesome. Acts eleven nineteen. it says, Meanwhile, the believers who had been scattered. See, meanwhile, the believers, the believers, the believers. No big names. Listen, they didn't have uh, a seminary degree. They hadn't been to Bible college, right? They didn't have a 12-step program, right? Not against any of those things. They didn't have, listen, this may shock you. They didn't have a New Testament. They didn't have the Romans road of salvation. Some of you remember what that is. Part of it's not in Romans and that always freaked me out. But anyways, right? They, they didn't have that. That, that. None of that is what they had. But yet these believers... When scattered by persecution, wherever they landed, they just started preaching the gospel, right? And by the way, they didn't have all the, they didn't have a text. They didn't have a scripture. They just said, hey, Jesus, he was crucified. He got up again. You should believe in him, right? Three points. He was crucified. He got up again, like he said. So if he did that, what he said he was going to do, you should believe the rest of him, that he came from God to show us the way to God, and he offers life that nothing else offers. I mean, how many sermons can you preach without a New Testament? Right? But they, they preached them. Right? And in a town where nobody was a believer, they start one of the most powerful churches. You see, I believe the church is a different maker when we as believers make a difference. See, you were created and destined to make a difference. In fact, Romans 8, 29 tells us some things about you. It says, number one, God knew you before anybody else. He foreknew you. Number two, he predestined you. In other words, he gave you purpose. He gave you a destiny, right? He gave you a, a, a finish line to hit, if you will. And not only that, he called you, all of us. We've all been known by God, destined by God, called by God, and justified by God and glorified by God. Like this is what God's done for all of us. In fact, Acts 13, 47 kind of gives us the mission statement because uh, just a couple of chapters later, this is what they come to. For the Lord God gave us this command when he said, I have made you a light to the Gentiles. Watch this, to bring salvation to the farthest corners of the earth. That's the calling of God on the people of God. 
It's just that simple. Go into all the world. It's just that simple. And so I'm sitting here and I'm looking at these believers that started this church that became the cradle of Christianity where people came to know Jesus and they sent missionaries all over the world and they sent financial support all over the world from this, from this church in Antioch. And I'm sitting here saying, hey, the church made a difference because the believers made a difference. The church was a difference maker because the believers decided to make a difference. And, and here's, you know, I thought about, it, you know, when I'm getting this message kind of to the end, I thought, God, you know, what do I tell them? How they make a difference? Like, and then I just look back. I said, what if I gave you the same thing those people had? Like instead of complicating it, instead of saying, you got to have 12 podcasts, you got to have 13 books, uh, you got to have an old New Testament survey, and you got to study the epistles of the, of the Apostle Paul. Instead of saying all that, nothing wrong with that, I've done that. All of that's good. But what if I said, here's all they had, the cornerstone of the resurrection, the command to love, and the commission to go. That is all they were given, right? They were not given the Romans road or a New Testament. There weren't Gideon Bibles in every hotel, right? Are you with me so far? They didn't have that to work with. They had the cornerstone of a resurrection. They had the command to love God, love your neighbor, love your enemy, and they had a commission to go because other people need help and other people need hope. Why don't we make this simple, right? Instead of making it complicated, why don't we make it simple, right? Can you, do you believe in the resurrection? Yes or no? Can you love people? Yes or no? Will you go? Yes or no? Because if you would do that, we could change our city in a year. So I'm going to put this scale up again because I want you to think about where you're at. Where you're at. And, and that's not a con condemning thing. It's just you got to have a starting point if you know where you're going, right? Where you're at. I know where my number is. And then with that, let me ask you a question. What would it take for you to go up one number? What would it take for you to go up just one number? Just one this year? Just one. What would you need to start doing to go up one number? Like if you're a two, what would it take to get to a three? Right? Like, like if you're a one, what would it take to get to a two? If you're a five, what would it take? What would you need to do? What do you need to stop? What would you need to change? Right? For some of you, like maybe moving up a number means, hey, I'm going to actually come next week. Like I'm going to try to come to church two times a month instead of one time, right? Or maybe it's three times instead of two times, right? Or I'm going to join a life group or I'm going to get involved in the outreach and I'm going to go to HRD and see if they need help. Or I'm going to go with Shade Tree or, or Jesus Burger next time they go out. Or I'm going to go across the street and talk to my neighbor because he never goes to church. Like, what would it take, right? Some of you are like, well, I don't know. I should probably pray. All right. Hey, could you pray five minutes a day for five days for the next five weeks? Or if you're really holy, seven minutes a day for seven days for seven weeks. If you need sevens, just be glad I didn't use sixes. So you didn't get that 666 is Mark of the Beast. Never mind. All right. So anyways, right? But what would it take? What would it take? Because here's what I believe. Like, here's what I believe. I believe there's destiny on this year like no other year. And I'm saying right now, if we could sit here and say, you know, God, I'm a two. I don't think God's freaked out by that. By the way, he knows. God's, <laughs> never mind. <laughs> anyways, God sees, he knows. And so, and so don't, don't be weirded out or condemn. God loves you. I love you. There is no condemnation. It's just a question of, hey, if you're a two, what could you do to get to a three? And here's the real question, because this is the motivation question. Whatever you thought, if you thought, I'm a two, and it'd probably take this to get to a three, here's what I want to ask you. Is Jesus and his cause worth it? I'm not even asking, are the people worth it that we need to talk to or reach? I'm just saying, is Jesus and his cause worth it? 
And if the answer to that is yes, then I say execute your plan to get from a two to three or three to four, whatever the case may be, right? Because I believe and I really believe that if all of our church, just our church, if all of our church decided this year we're going to move up one number, we would see a difference in our community in 12 months. That's what I believe. And I believe we can do it because I never wanted, listen, I planted a church in a city where there's 8 million churches. But I never wanted, I never wanted, and, and by the way, still most of our city is not going to be in church today. You know that. Right? And so, but I never wanted to have a church where we come, we sing songs, we hear a good word, we go live our lives, and, you know, in a week or two we come back, we sing songs. No, I wanted a church that was like Antioch, where everybody knew their calling where everybody knew their gifting. It's why we do first step. It's why we have dream teams. It's why we do that stuff, where everybody knows what God created you to do, and, and we just empower you to do it. And I wanted a church where 90% of the ministry of that church happens outside of the walls and not on Sunday. And I think it's possible, and I think we can do it. I do. I think we can be that kind of church where it's not about religion or rituals and we're not a religious organization. No, we are believers who are set on fire by the mission of Jesus and the cause of Jesus. And we may not have all the niceties and Bible school degrees and all those type of things, but we believe in the resurrection. We know we can love people, right? And we know we can go and we're willing to go. Whether it's across the street or across an ocean, we're willing to go. Amen? I think we can change the world. I've said for eight years when people said, hey, what are you doing over there at that hotel? I said, I'm trying to take over the world because I think that's what God called the church to do. And I think we can do it. I think hell's scared to death. Because when we were 80 people and I said, we're going to take over the world, they don't get much attention in hell. Right? But when you're like a 1,000 or so people and you say, we're going to take over the world, all of a sudden you at least get an email sent out down there. Right? Why don't you stand with me?